Hi, everybody. This is Mike Mirando welcoming you to the sports segment of the Rancho Cordova podcast. Brought to you, of course, by the great folks at the California Capitol Film Office. We're here at the Old Mills Winery building just off of Folsom Boulevard, and today we have a real treat. Max Miller is in studio, a Hall of Fame coach in his own right, whose teams amassed 254 victories during a 28-year high school coaching career, including two stints at Cordova High School, where all his teams did was win, it seemed like. Now, Max, you and I go all the way back to the 1970s when I was a sports writer and you were coaching varsity baseball at the time at El Camino High School and a few years later, football at Rio. In fact, Max is a member of eight different halls of fame, including the original inductee into the Rancho Cordova Sports Hall of Fame back in 2015. Today, Max and his bride, Sally, make their home in Rancho Cordova's Gold River area. He's retired twice, but remains active in the community. Max is the proud father of three adult men, Kevin, Greg, and Chris, I believe. And he has six grandchildren and one great-granddaughter. I'm also proud to say that Max and I served together on the Rancho Cordova Sports Hall of Fame Committee, and I am honored to call today's guest my friend. Coach, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. This is very exciting. Yeah, Coach, I want to start with these Halls of Fame. Now, I think it's important for listeners to know the breadth and importance of these selections. I'm going to run through these. National High School Coaches Hall of Fame, Northern California Sports Association Hall of Fame, California Coaches Hall, San Joaquin Section Hall of Fame, the LaSalle Club, and of course the Rancho Cordova Sports Hall of Fame. I may have missed one or two here. Well, recently the Nevada Union High School Hall of Fame, which was a special honor because that's where I went to high school. Exactly. At eight Halls of Fame, that has to be a record. What? I'm going to open it and start it here. What are these selections represent to you well if i if i kind of went in order the sierra the nevada union um hall of fame meant a lot because that's where i went to high school and and uh it was a real special event because i had played uh football basketball baseball and ran track and still had a couple of records up there and it was really super because my kids got to see it and my wife and a lot of my ex-teammates in high school were there and then at Sierra College, uh, I was on the first uh, football team that went to a bowl game, the Lindsay, the Olive Bowl in Lindsay, California. Oh, my gosh, that goes back. <clears throat> oh, way back, yeah. And then I went on to college at Davis, and, and the baseball team I was in, uh, involved with got inducted in the Hall of Fame. And then um, the other Hall, the Sac Joaquin Section Hall of Fame really means a lot because it's uh, – it related to the victories that you have at the high schools that you coached at. And I was very, very fortunate. You just don't win a lot of football games if you don't have a great staff, number one. You don't have great players, number two. And you, you have to have great administrative support. So I really feel it was a blessing um, that all these things were bestowed upon me. And then that being inducted into the national Hall of Fame was real special because they held it back in Minnesota and a couple of my sons got a chance to come back and see that. But it all it all goes back to what, where you are and who you're coaching with. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, you've got to really be, you got to be very fortunate to have some of these great kids that I had. Is coaching something that you wanted to do from the get-go in high school? Yeah, my, my high school coach was a guy named Buzzy Ostrom and, 
<clears throat> we uh, won the championship our sophomore and junior year there at Nevada Union, and I was always just super impressed with him because he he uh, he, he was just a great guy and really close to me. And and then uh, my college coach uh, at uh, well, actually, Buzzy got went from Nevada Union to Sierra College, and then I played there with him. And then I went to UC Davis, and my head football coach, uh, Will Lauder, was just a great man. And I, I just, you know, I thought, hey, you know, this is I'd like to, I want to be a teacher and, and and coach. So I had the, it worked out, and then to end up opening, going to Cordova High School in 1963 when it opened, um, I, I'm. A, I was so blessed to be able to start at a school like that. You were there at the you know, the fall of '63, uh, mm -hmm. among many others. You know, take us back to that time, Coach. Uh, you really, as I recall, pinched yourself when you saw the campus the first time, right? Oh yeah, you know um, that high school was designed by the principal Frank Lopes. It was a, it's a beautiful school to this day, and it was built, you know, next to the junior high. And on the other side, down by the river, was Cordova Parks and Rec. So it was an unbelievable location, but it was designed for, for team teaching. So, uh, you know, the A wing was art and B was uh, business and, and D was drama and so on. And uh, it, was, it was a great experience. And then the principal happened to be from my hometown too, Frank Lopes, who was a really innovator in education. And he hired an unbelievable staff. I mean, Clark Massey was the track coach, and 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 uh, Larry Jennings was the basketball coach, and and uh, Dewey had just uh, been finished coaching at Folsom and had his team had been number one the year before. <clears throat> so all those guys, uh, I start off in a brand new high school with just juniors and, and be surrounded by guys like that that was such a wealth of knowledge it was just unbelievable you bring up frank lopes and for our listeners frank lopes was a man who was literally 50 years ahead of his time it's not often you have someone who's not only an architect that laid out the plans to what this school is going to look like but became its first principal tell us a little bit about frank well he's a great guy and he knew me when i was a younger kid younger guy and you know like fourth fifth grade he, he grew up in grass valley too and um, I was really kind of really shocked because when I went for my interview, and he here I am, I'm sitting down with the superintendent, and and Frank is the principal, and uh, he he was he was a phenomenal guy. He fortunately, you know, he was really wanted. Uh, like when he left Cordova, he went down to Costa Mesa High School, helping design the same kind of program in, in Newport Beach. And then he only stayed there for two years, and then he went was hired by the state to help design programs throughout the state of California that were built like Cordova. But he was he was a great guy, but he loved sports. <laughs> that guy, he loved, and he really liked football. You know, he really yeah. liked football. Well, that's obviously where you guys hit it off. Now, uh, as I understand it, your grandmother your grandmother kind of had other ideas. Uh, she wanted to see your classroom, but found out that you went to a school that didn't yet have a football field. Yeah. Uh, what the, what's the story there? I remember my uh, when I told my my uh, grandparents where I was going to start teaching, and my grandmother was a teacher. She uh, obviously she wanted to come up and see the school, so they they came up from uh, Los Angeles. Uh, my grandfather and and my grandmother to 
to see the school, and uh, she she took me over and set, helped me set up my classroom, gave me some ideas on how to take role and so you don't have kids that know each other, you know. And she was really emphatic about that. And then my grandfather, he wanted to see the football stadium. Well, we didn't have one then. He go, well, Max, why why would you go to a high school that doesn't have a football stadium? You know, it's kind of funny. And he was serious. And so I took him up to Folsom and showed him where, where we were going to be playing. But, uh, yeah, a lot of great, 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 great memories. You know, you had mentioned uh, some of the, the great coaches that started uh, at that school among mm-hmm. yourselves. You had Clark. Uh, Guy Anderson, of course, was there. And then across the breezeway at Mills Junior High, Jack Ramsey, Joe Brown, uh, legendary Hall of Famers in their own right. Oh, they were just great guys. And, you know, you know, it was, uh, Mills and Mitchell um, used to play football um, as a rivalry game. And I'm not kidding you, pack the stadium, have five, 6,000 people on a Thursday afternoon for that game. And you couldn't, I couldn't hold practice on Thursday because the kids all wanted to, you know, go where they wanted to go. But those kids would come from the junior highs, very well coached, very well disciplined, really, really well disciplined kids. And um, I was so disappointed when they decided to bring freshmen into Cordova High School and and not have them play um, separately at Mills and Mitchell. It was, I, I felt it was, because we'd have 60 kids out at, for football at, at Mills and Mitchell at each school, 120 freshmen playing, and 60 good sophomores the next year. Oh, but yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it was unbelievable. But it was uh, it was a great, great uh, group of guys that coached, coached at, at Mills. And uh, Joe Brown, uh, and a retired military guy, you know, and – Jack Ramsey and Joe Horizon, and then when Kenny Bowles went over to uh, uh, Mitchell, uh, he developed a great program over there, and just a phenomenal group of guys and two great junior highs. It was uh, uh, Joe Brown was a bombardier. Yeah, in the B seven on B seventeens in World War Two, flew several missions. Uh, Hall of Famer in his own right. That Mitchell uh, Stevenson was a, the yeah. coach over there. What's interesting, and a lot of people don't realize this, that on the last Thursday in October, those two freshman teams played in the Cordova Stadium and drew seven to eight thousand uh, every time. And every a cu- time, a couple of times it fell on Halloween. Kids would come out in these masks. But those games started at three fifteen or three thirty. They wanted to start them early enough because it got dark by six, five thirty yeah. or six. And I can remember a couple of games, the final play of the game was literally held at dusk Uh-oh. and because we had no lights. Yeah. Right? Well, all I, all I know is that they would bring four busloads of kids from both junior highs. The students got on buses to come to see that game. And uh, you, so you'd, you'd look outside the stadium, you'd see eight yellow buses with kids coming in and rooting and uh, – it, it was a it was a big time game and the kids were excited. They were on the on the facility there and, and looking forward to going to Cordova High School. Those games were were always close. Yeah. Uh, one year, uh, sixty nine, it resulted in a six six tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitchell scored the tying touchdown. Mills had a touchdown call back, but Mills didn't have a place kicker. Oh. And I'll never forget Mills quarterback Pat Burke, who was a member of my class. 
uh, once told me if we would have had Marty Nelson, we would have won the Mitchell game. Marty uh, kicked field goals uh, for for fun over at Cordova Gardens Elementary, but he was running cross country. Oh. And the rule back then was you couldn't play two sports yeah. simultaneously. But Mitchell certainly had great teams. And I was talking to Coach Rose not too long ago that uh, Jerry Rieger is the answer to a trivia question. He was the first quarterback that quarterbacked Mitchell to a win over Mills. He did it in 1970 when they shut the Mustangs out 6 nothing. Yeah, that was first. That yeah. was first. And they've yeah. had, had some great teams since. Uh, it, it looks to me like you, you have coached among several other greats. Is America's greatest generation passing it along to what would eventually become the boomer generation? Yeah. Because that's that's where a lot of us are now. How, Coach, how import, important is it to have coaches uh, as full-time on-campus teachers? <clears throat> well, going back to Cordova when I got out of college, I mean, the track coach, Clark Massey, was on campus. Our basketball coach was on campus. Our wrestling coach was on campus, our, our baseball coach, myself. And, and that's where I got to know Guy. Guy was my JV coach, assistant coach. And um, uh, um, I was trying to think of his name. Uh, our swimming coach was uh, on campus also. John McCants? Uh, well, before, before John. Before John. And uh, so all, all our coaches were, were on campus. And I know Frank knew that that it was important to, to have good teachers that were, you know, that could coach also. And I, I think today so many schools don't even have their head football coach, for example, or basketball coach on campus. Maybe they have another career job and they do it on the side. And that doesn't work. You have to be on campus to check kids' grades and be there for them to find out what problems they maybe have in the classroom and I know that Cordova finally has gotten back to uh, getting a head football coach that's on campus. You know, right. most, of, most of their coaches now are all off-campus guys. And, well, uh, I think a lot of it, too, is there's an accountability factor with the, with the kids. Without that a doubt. If they see their football coach coming out of A-wing, a, a class, uh, there is an, an inherent belief that, you know, kind of coaches kind of keeping an eye on me, you know. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, and then I'm, relationships are forged between the players and the, and the coaches as well. Well, I'm pointing to this cell phone. People can't see that, but there wasn't any of those back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And the, the kids knew that uh, 8 o'clock was the time to be in class, and, the, and they were there. And they looked forward to going to school and visiting with their friends and getting their lockers. We don't have lockers anymore. That That was a big Thing. A guy had a locker. It was like a, like his own car, you know, and uh, schools changed, but uh, it was really important to whatever program was was set up, whether it was wrestling or football or whatever it might be to have that that teacher on campus. And that's something I think a lot of schools either hope to get back to or are already starting to see the pendulum swing back. You yes. mentioned uh, uh, J.D. Dolliver, I believe that's his yes, name, he, is he, our new head coach at Cordova. And in fact, we're going to be talking with him later on this summer uh, before his first season. Um, arguably the first bona fide three-sport star that, that you saw at Cordova High School was Steve Vollmer. Uh -huh. And we've talked about Steve as being an athlete a unique individual. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, he was, he was an outstanding young man, and he uh, he was uh, named captain 
uh, in three sports by his teammates, football, basketball, and baseball. And he played football for me. He was a safety. He was all city safety and an outstanding quarterback, uh, outstanding guard in basketball and played shortstop for me in baseball uh, on the varsity. Um, his dad was a great guy. He opened up the uh, Lutheran church right there across the street from Mills. And their family was there for, I don't know, they were there like 10 years, I believe. Um, but Steve was just an outstanding young man. And then after college, he became a, an educator and a teacher and worked his way up to assistant superintendent um, in El Dorado uh, County up there at um, Placerville. Right. And then uh, I, I talked to him recently, and the state hired him to go down to... Uh, to Oakland to work with that teacher's uh, strike that they had. As a mediator? Uh, as a mediator and, wow. and got that worked out. He, he was just an outstanding young man and um, a really great athlete considering his size. I think he weighed 145 pounds and 5'8", something like that. Now we're talking 1964, 65, yeah, 66, yeah. It, right along in there. Yeah, it was uh, the start of, uh, you know, when we only had juniors, we still had a real good football team. We didn't win a lot of games, but we were very competitive. And then, of course, the his the senior year, uh, those kids were really good. I can remember back then, uh, Cordova football was on Saturday afternoons. There yep. were no lights, but you could hear the band. I lived on Ambassador Drive, which is oh. a good distance from oh, yeah. the back end of the stadium. You could hear the band play uh, at various intervals during the game. Oh, yeah. And that's how big of a deal it was. We all wanted to ride our bikes, catch the game up on the upper level there. Yeah. And see what was going on. And I remember Steve, I think he wore number, was it number 11? Might have been 11 or 10. I yeah. Can't, I, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that was a called Cheap Watt Hill. And everybody, all the kids, some guys parked their cars up there. I never could Is understand that. Right? I, yeah, I didn't understand how they got up there, but they did. But Well, it was a lookout point uh 2.0, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, those Saturday afternoon games, uh, the opponent dreaded it. They just didn't. A lot of guys wouldn't even warm up in the stadium. They'd warm up on the upper upper field because they were intimidated by Big Bread Jacks and the Lancers coming into the stadium and the Cordova crowd. And it was it was really. It was really something. It was great when we got lights, but there was a long period of time. Uh, many years playing without lights and and playing in the heat that in that stadium. We'll get to your Cordova career in just a minute. And friends, we're with Max Miller, the legendary Hall of Fame high school football coach at Cordova High School. Uh, I want to talk about uh, going back to the early 1970s. 1974, you coached baseball at El Camino High School, and when I was a sports writer for the Green Sheet, mm -hmm. I interviewed interviewed you a number of times uh, about a big 6'4 right-hander named Butch Edge that you had. You seem to have the, the right players at the right time that only got better. Uh, Butch, who at that time rivaled Randy Lurch as oh, one yeah. of the best two pitchers in the area. Yeah, well, Butch was really special. He was also a great football player. And uh, I, I mean, I remember, you know, him pitching against Turlock where he struck out 20 of 21 batters and the, the 21st out was a ground ball back to him, you know. But he had phenom phenomenal uh, speed and he was the number 
first, I think he was the num- the first number one draft pick that came out of Sacramento. I'm almost sure of that. Yeah, he was and, that uh, year. He was very, very deserving. He got drafted by, uh, I want to say, Milwaukee. And um, the, the thing is, the guy threw strikes. <laughs> Whether he didn't have to rely on his curveball or not much of a changeup, but he could throw the fastball and, and throw strikes, you know. As I recall, his fastball had movement. It was electric. It, the movement occurred two feet before it reached home plate, yeah. which made him virtually unhittable. I remember uh, a game he pitched out at Renfrey Field in the playoffs. Might mm-hmm. have been against Grant. He pitched a complete game, struck out 12 or 13, but yeah. his fastball was just filthy. Well, he had it was a great group of guys and and they meet with me still come over to our home in July we have a little group picnic in the back room and tell funny stories but man we had Jeff Hansen he he was also a great football player but he went to he, and he got drafted by St. Louis but he went to Nebraska Dana Johns went to to Tulsa in baseball um we just had we we had a lot of good athletes, obviously, on that team besides Butch. Sure, and moving over to Rio and folks, I got to share it. One one day, I'm working at the Green Sheet. You call me up, I'll never forget, and he said, "Hey, you need to come out here and do a story on our team this year. We got a kid here who's the best back in the United States. <laughs> yeah. a kid by the name of Bob Weigel. Yeah, and at the time, I said, "Yeah, Coach, I'll, I'll get to it." Well, the next day was a Saturday. And a buddy of mine owned Ron's Raft Rentals right there at the corner yeah. of Sunrise and Fair Oaks Boulevard. So I go in, go in there, and Ron Christian is his name, Cordova grad. Yep. He and Ron Degler had the raft shop. So as the story goes, I pull in there just to kibitz with Ron, and in pulls a brand-new red Firebird. Who's driving but Bob Weigel? Yeah. He's with a couple of gals. And uh, somebody mentioned his name. I said, you're Bob Weigel. He goes, yes, I am. I said, great. So I referenced that you and I had talked. So I just interviewed him right there on the spot and then went to the field the following week mm-hmm. and shared with you that he and I had met a fabulous young man. But part of being a coach is you have to be a salesman for the kids that you have on your team. Yeah. You're good. Weigel, I believe, ended up going to Notre Dame for a time, right? He went to Notre Dame and then transferred to Cal. Uh, he just got inducted into the Rio Americano Hall of Fame. And it, it was a great experience because uh, a lot of his teammates and myself, my wife, were were there for his induction, and he was so excited. Um, and what was really neat is he had told his dad uh, that, hey, I, Dad, I got inducted into the Rio Americano Hall of Fame, and his dad was an executive for Shell Oil. He said, well, is Coach Miller going to be there? And he goes, yeah. Well, his dad was ill. And uh, so he read a, wrote a special letter to me. And so when Bob came out, uh, he, they gave me that letter after the induction. And it's wow. really nice. It's sitting on my desk right now. And then, uh, unfortunately, his dad died four days before his induction. So his dad missed his induction. But he, he was a great young man. He was very humble, uh, pretty quiet, to be honest with you. But he was, uh, he was a real physical running back. You know, he was fast. But he was more physical type of guy, you know. He's an eye back, and and uh, he had great teammates around him, and um, it was a great run when I was at Rio because I think those kids we went eight one one like three years in a row. What's he doing now? 
You know, he's got his own company. He's been very successful in, in Palo Alto where he's uh, president of a uh, heart research company. And then they go from heart re research to all kinds of new desi designs of different medical equipment, you know, that I'm not up to date on, but he's done very, very well. That, that, is, <clears throat> that is great. Folks, we're talking to Max Miller legendary coach at Cordova High School and other places. Now, Coach, I did a little bit of research here. Your first tour as Cordova's head coach ran from 1981 to 1993. And I want to share with our listeners your first five seasons at Cordova. 1981 uh, which was the worst year. You went 8-2. and two. You had the audacity to lose two games. In 82, you went 11-1. and 83-11-1. and one. 84, uh, you, you went 9-2-1, and one, but and in 85, of course, you went 14-0, and, and we'll talk about that team. But 53-6-1 uh, over your first five years, that's a pretty good opening act. Well, like I said, Cordova had a, a great tradition uh, through the 70s and, and 80s, and actually the most of the 90s, too. Uh, the kids at Cordova worked hard and knew they had to work a little extra uh, to get that edge on the opponents that we might be playing because everybody had Cordova circled on their calendar. And um, it was a lot of fun. I had a great coaching staff. I always had a, a great administrative support, but I always had a great coaching staff, and and I had just phenomenal kids. They were just uh, just wonderful young men. That 1985 team uh, became the section's first team to go 14-0 undefeated uh, and win a section title, number three ranking in the state. That was obviously the Troy Taylor team. Mm -hmm. uh, and this cannot be underscored enough. Troy that year passed for more than 2,200 yards mm -hmm. regular season, rushed for another 1,400-plus. Coach, how special was he and that particular team? Well, he was, he was, number one, he was a great young man, and uh, he was a great student, and he just absolutely loved football. And uh, when his parents moved to Rancho Cordova, he was, um, he just finished his junior year. And I know we were in the playoffs, and then his dad came out with him and introduced me. He said, hey, my son's going to be going to um, Cordova next year, and I'm, you know, it's nice to meet him, but he, he wasn't anything – um, his junior year, he was a, a wing T quarterback. and uh, But I never had a guy that worked as hard as he did. I mean, he won every sprint, every sprint. Most guys are tired after two or three, but he'd win oh, every easily. sprint. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, he he um, he was a, almost a straight-A student and ended up getting the scholarship to Cal, you know, and he didn't have any letters at all when he was a junior or, you know, if he'd have been at Bella Vista, I don't, I'm not really sure that he would have got a scholarship. So uh, he, he had a wonderful career, and he went to Cal, had a wonderful career there, started four years at Cal as a freshman, playing for Joe Cap. Right. And, uh, and that was a hoot. Yeah, that was. <laughs> and then uh, when he decided he got drafted by the Jets, had two years with the Jets, and then he, he went back to Cal as uh, an assistant and then to Colorado, and then um, – started his teaching career at, at uh, Christian Brothers and then went over to Castle Robles and then up to Folsom. And then I had an opportunity when I retired, the very first year I retired, uh, 
Troy had called me and says, hey, coach, could you, would you come up and, and work with our defense just for, you know, a couple of years, whatever I could get out of you, you know? So, oh God, yeah, I'd love to work with you guys. So I went up, we went up and we won the state championship that year. So it was a wonderful experience. And, and then he got the head job at Sac State, did a phenomenal job at Sac State. Oh, uh, you bet. Winning two championships in a row. And, and now he's uh, the head coach at uh, Stanford. So he's a very deserving young man. He's very dedicated to football and he's a hard worker. And it's, uh, it's going to be another step here at Stanford. It's going to be, it's going to be a real, real, uh, hard work for him, but I, I have a lot of confidence in Troy. He seems to me someone who can elevate his game, no matter what level he's at. Yes. And obviously he's going to, he's playing in a different arena with Stanford. Really hired a good staff. He's got a really, really good staff. Uh, guys that have got Pac-12 experience, so. But gee, when he and then he plays Sac State their game this year. Was oh, that right? Yes, but the second game <clears throat> against USC, and he opens in Hawaii, so it'll be interesting those first three or four games. Oh, those are going to be some high-scoring games. Yeah, uh, hey, all yeah. those offenses are are, are pretty electric. Uh, getting back to your '85 team, you, you had some great players. You Rodney Robinson who yeah. served with this little shout out to Rodney if you're listening. Uh, certainly a member of that team. He's also a member of the Sports Hall of Fame yeah. committee. Uh, well, that that all those guys were great. The, all those kids were great. I mean, they still have the record for the least amount of points given up in 14 games. Uh, defensively, they were lights out guys. <laughs> it was lucky they'd score, and we, you know, we would. In a football game back then, we were playing usually 44, 44 players a game. Uh, we, we weren't into running up scores. We, you wouldn't see us throwing the ball in the fourth quarter like you see guys today. What struck me about that team is you continued a tradition. Granted, you had a great starting lineup. Uh, J.D. Davidson, a sophomore, played on that right. ball club, as well as Kenny Coombs. You didn't run up too many scores. Second and third teams played almost as much as the first team. It did. Something that was really started under Dewey. Yeah. And it's he's blessed to have that kind of talent, but he wasn't one. He was Dewey in particular wanted everybody to play. Yeah. And you followed suit the same way, but you also had a great second, third, fourth string that really oh. could have started anywhere else. Yeah. It was. Uh... It was really so. That's why when I was uh, head baseball coach at Cordova when we started there, I, I used to tell Guy, I said, "This this absolutely kills me to cut these kids." You know, I would carry twenty one guys, and uh, it, I would cut twenty guys <laughs> that could play for anybody. And it's hard to see those kids come up and look at the the roster on the window and not know they didn't make the team it just killed me so i i quit coaching baseball for for that reason well in cordova during those years those kids that were cut ended up playing senior babe ruth oh legion they ended up leading their teams in hitting ended up making all-star teams which bona reaffirmed the fact that those kids could have played anywhere else yeah but they wanted to be a part of this program and, and they were like a it was almost like a farm system the summer baseball program for the following year in baseball. And uh, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I love baseball. I mean, I played it for all those years in college and high school and, and uh, getting back into it, coaching at El Camino. But um, it's just, it's a, it's a t- actually when I was coaching at El Camino, I only carried like 
13 guys on the team for that reason. I just hated not baseball is a game that you can't always play everybody, you know, and right. you, maybe you need three pitchers. So now you're, now you're carrying 12, a backup catcher, you're, you're the 13. I don't know what the limit is now. Back then it was 13. It's, it was it's a more specialized game obviously now than yeah. it was back then when a when a Butch Edge or a Randy yeah. Lurch uh, could go seven innings yeah without batting an eye. Uh, Steve Finch yeah pitched three no hitters complete games yeah I think in one game he threw seventy eight pitches yeah and well, only, they threw uh, Anderson used to track track these pitches long before they used to yeah you know, do pitch counts but uh, uh, getting back to the eighty five team uh, well nineteen eighty five for this area was a strong year. You had you know, Ralph Martini, the great receiver out of Roseville, uh, quarterback Kevin Elam out of McClatchy, Elgin Fontaine at Grant. You have coached some of the greats, and one of those kids was James Montgomery. Yeah. One night against Vacaville scored nine touchdowns. Yeah. He's... Take take us back to that night. Well, just one quick thing about um, that 85 team is it gave me the opportunity to go down and coach the Shrine game, which was the, the best players in the North gets right. the South. And, and Troy and Martini both are the quarterbacks that I had. And uh, that was a wonderful experience coaching that, that kind of team and, and playing the Rose Bowl. Uh, that was a wonderful experience too. But going back to James, um, it was funny because that night um, – and I didn't know about this. Uh, our first mayor, um, I'm trying to think of his name, um, of Branch Cordova, the first. Uh, would that have been? Would that have been David Sander? No, no. it wasn't David. Uh, it was, well, it was I'll, I'll think three. about it, man. But they they wanted to get a cannon for when the Cordova scored a touchdown. They were going to shoot the cannon off. And uh, I, I had no knowledge of this. They thought this was pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, man, they shot that thing off nine times. And I, I it sounded like they were dropping bombs over at Cordova. And, and it didn't last very long because they, they could hear them all the way up to Bradshaw's restaurant. They heard them. They thought we were getting invaded over there, you know. But James was a great football player, and he, he got a scholarship to Cal. He transferred up to Washington State, which actually – he led the pack, uh, um, the Pac-12 in rushing for three weeks, and then he went to SMU to play. Washington State went down to Washington State or SMU, and he he tore his uh, his uh, gastrocnemius muscle uh, down to the Achilles tendon, and um, they were he just he, he couldn't he couldn't recover to play again. So he coached at Washington State. And then he went up to uh, uh, Weber State to coach with Jody Sears, who then went to Sac State as a head coach. So James went to, to coach at uh, Sac State with Jody and then stayed with Troy when Troy got the job. And then he went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and he was a running back coach and recruiting coordinator. And then he just moved over to Fresno State for a year, and now he's up at Boise State doing the same thing. So he's on a fast track to – possibly become a head coach, but he's very happy at Boise State. I just talked to him two days ago. Is that right? And uh but he was he, he was a phenomenal athlete and just a great young man to coach. I remember at his induction ceremony into the Rancho Hall of Fame mm -hmm. last year we had tape of that game. Yeah. And we showed all nine of the touchdowns. Oh. 
was, they weren't just fullback dives into the end zone, folks. Oh no. These were electric 30, 40, 50 yard runs. Yeah. Uh, duking, deking defenses, uh, av- virtually outrunning secondaries, and some of these some of these players he ran against that night were no slouch. <clears throat> no, an amazing thing is, I think he only carried the ball fifteen times. It was almost you you just kind of sat there in shock. We'd hand off and run a counter, and boom, like you said, he's sixty yards in the end zone, and then we'd run a toss, and boom, he's fifty yards in the end zone. It was just it was a phenomenal night for an athlete. He carried 15 times for 380 yards. Yeah, see, 15 times. Yeah. Normally he carried it 25 to 28, and uh, we took him out. That was the other thing. We took him out in the third quarter. Yeah, he, he was a special guy. He was special all year. It, it was uh, That was another team that, man, I would, it, we just should have got, got to the section finals, but it just didn't work out. It's hard, boy. The the pressure at, at there. That's why I always admired the kids at Cordova because they handled the pressure. I mean, it was everybody. Like I said, had to, had you circled on the schedule, and it was tough to play perfect football for fourteen weeks. You know. Oh sure. Well, probably longer than that. There was probably a bye week in there somewhere. Yep. And Cordova back then had a reputation. You were in the Metro League, but you weren't a city school. We, oh, no. we were out here in the in the in the burbs, yeah. right? Yeah. And the McClatchies, the Johnsons, the Sackeyes, those are all Sac City, and there's there's a stigma there. And here and we those are. Those guys were out good, Dad, too. They were good. A guy asked me the other day. They have, they have a new uh, sport uh, district athletic director, and he was asking me, you know, Max, why do you think Sac and McClatchy and Kennedy and all those guys were good then? And I said, Well, I tell you right now, they were all their head coaches were on campus. And right now you tell me how many on campus coaches you got at Johnson and McClatchy and Kennedy. And he said, yeah, you're right. None. And I said, well, it makes a big difference. And, uh, I said, back then those guys were good. (laughs) They were really good. There seems to be a common denominator getting back to having on campus coaches uh, full-time that also taught other, other subjects. Another player, and we're running through a lot of them. I know we only have an hour. We could do another week on this. Yes, we could. Uh, is Mark Young. Oh, man. What a phenomenal. You know, I think to this day, he's got a, he holds a record that I don't think anybody will break. He, they, uh, Christian Brothers kicked off. We were playing at American River College, and that was big, big game. That was a big robbery for Cordova forever. And he takes the kickoff back, runs it back for a touchdown. So we hold him. We kick off, we hold him, and they punt to Mark, and he runs the punt back for a touchdown. So now he's touched it twice and scored twice. So we kick off, we hold him, and they don't punt to him this time. They punt it out of bounds. So we ran a weak side option, and, and Mark goes, he touches the third time, he scores his third touchdown. So the first three times he touched the football, he scored a touchdown. And uh, he, he had a phenomenal career. He went on to... Uh, play at American River, then over to Sac State. He was inducted at uh, Sac State in their Hall of Fame. He broke the uh, long-lost career uh, that Sac State had against my old alma mater, Davis, uh, when he caught a touchdown pass to beat the Aggies late in the fourth quarter. But Mark's a ph- phenomenal football player and came from a family of very good athletes, uh, his brother Reggie was one of the all-time great running backs at Cordova. Also, Mark uh, posts frequently about his brother. 
Yeah, and loved uh, him. they were both the younger brother of C.T. Young, mm-hmm. uh, who was an early athlete. C.T.'s no longer with us. Uh, little known fact, C.T. was a heck of a singer. Uh, mm. He had a voice like nobody's business. Uh, in fact, a lot of us who followed the group Tower of Power oh, yeah. often commented that C.T. really should audition because he would be a fabulous frontman. Uh, but just a, a little aside, uh, certainly Mark Young among uh, some of some of the uh, greatest. Uh, Coach, you you uh, left after that. Well, some would call it retirement. Now, I guess the word retirement isn't exactly in your wheelhouse. You you say they say you've done it twice. Yeah, when I when I retired, and then Troy had me come up to Folsom. And then uh, I spent two years up at Folsom, and then they had a uh, uh, problem over at Rio Americano with some situations. So they asked me, and well, they asked me to if I would come over and, and take their program over, and I, w- I wanted to do that because my grandson was playing at Rio. So it gave me an opportunity to uh, spend two years coaching uh, my grandson, John Morgan. And that wow. was a great experience. So going back to Rio, I knew the people over there and the administration and the district. So, yeah, I retired and retired, and you know, and then, of course, uh, coaching the uh, Optimus game for the last four years, I just resigned doing that also. So I, I've been able to keep my, my uh, nose in that coaching for quite a while since I retired, but I'm doing a lot of observing now. I'm, I've hung up my whistle. Well, at least at least for now. Now, let's get back to something you had mentioned. You coached your grandson. Yes. How was that? In terms of, obviously, he knows you and your record and your past. Mm-hmm. How was that coaching him, a member of the oh, family? Oh, it was really, it was really great, you know. And it was nice too because his dad, Greg, played for me. My, my, um, uh, our second son, Greg, I had an opportunity to coach his son. He was. Uh, Greg handled the defensive backs. John was a really good defensive back, so it was it's, it was nice to be able to go to practice and spend all the, that those hours uh, with your grandson. Also, you know, and it was also a great experience for me for the last four years coaching that Optimus game, going back where I had my oldest son Kevin uh, coach the quarterbacks and Greg coach the receivers. So I had an opportunity for for four years to have my my boys to, to coach with too also. Chris Chris Argyot, my youngest son, he would have been happy to do it too, but he still works. Those two guys are the two older boys are retired. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's great. Uh I want to take you back to the year before the fourteen and O team. Mm-hmm. Uh the eighty four team. I was at the last game, the game that you lost. And somebody yelled, you, you, the team was walking back uh, to the school, the locker room. You were trailing. Somebody yelled out, Coach, what are you going to do for an encore next year? And you, I'll never forget, you looked back, whoever it was that said that, and you looked at him and said, wait until next fall and you'll find out. It was almost a precursor to, this loss doesn't mean anything. We're just going to get tougher and better. It, it was tough losing those uh when you get when you get into the to the section final, you know it's it's t- tough to go fourteen wins. Period. Oh, sure. You know, and so when you're thirteen and one, a couple of years, you it's discouraging. But it's it, it, at the same time, it's not. They, 
I, I, I just loved every year. I loved all, whatever the, the record was. It's not why, why you really, you coach to hope that you hope to win as many as you can, but it's being around those kids and, um, the camaraderie that you develop with your, with the young men and, and the other students. Uh, it's, uh, it was a blessing. I have no reason. Sometimes you'd wonder w what happens to you in your career. You know, why, 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 why did I go to Cordova high school? Nobody knew about that school in 1963, a brand new school. How do you end up there? You know? And, and I, and I, uh, it was just a, and then how do you end up going back? Well, wait you know, a minute. early on, didn't Frank Lopes call you on New Year's Day or New yeah. Year's night, uh, well, to ask you to, if you had interest in going? Yeah, it was an interesting thing because I had just accepted a job coaching uh, at the University of New Mexico. I was going to be a secondary coach there. So, um, on New Year's night, Frank called me and uh, he said, "You know, I know you. I know you took that New Mexico job, but I, I, I want to get a head football coach here at, at Costa Mesa, and I want you at least to come down here." And I, well, you know, where's Costa Mesa? You know, it's in Newport Beach. I go, well, where's Newport Beach? I didn't know anything past Sacramento. So I flew down there, and and. Uh, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. It really was. I was very blessed to have a, a guy like to know Frank, to get that opportunity, period, you know. And I was the youngest head coach. I was 29 years old and I got hired to be a head coach there. So, yeah, it was, a, it was just – I was just so lucky in my career to have to be very thankful to the good Lord that he – got me associated with so many people and so many fine uh, people in, in the community of Rancho Cordova are just dear friends uh, to, to be on their, uh, on that committee for the Cordova Hall of Fame, which is something else. Um, just phenomenal people and they love Rancho Cordova, including yourself as an ex-student. I mean, it's, it's special. It's kind of hard for people to understand well, it, it is, and because Rancho has grown so much, especially yes. in the last 10 years. Oh, my gosh. Uh, with the building development out in the South County, yeah. the South area, yeah. uh, things are really happening. In, in fact, Rancho Cordova is among the most sought-after places for business yeah. uh, in the entire Sacramento County, which is kind of cool. And, of course, you know the, the battle that we had for cityhood here 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah The county wasn't exactly thrilled, but... Uh, we established a great team, Linda Budge, our current mayor. Yep. Uh, David Sander, of course, was there. Uh, and they're Mc still all there. McGreevy, room. yes. Yeah. And those are the folks that really laid uh, laid the groundwork. Uh, your dad was a, a football nut yeah. from the time that you could remember. Well, my dad played uh, at the University of Oklahoma and uh, was a running back. And my, my parents met um, – my mom went to Northwestern, and she she uh, made she was a, a nurse, and uh, so my my dad got injured, and he was in the hospital, and he met my mom there, you know, and she was a Notre Dame nut. So I remember, you know, when we used the Notre Dame in Oklahoma used to be a big time game. Yeah, and I was my brother and I would uh, my one my parents sat in the living room one on one side, one on the other. 
rooting for the Oklahoma and the other Notre Dame. But yeah, my dad was, uh, he was, and so was my mother. They were very supportive for my brother and I and made sure that we were always involved with sports and doing the right thing in the classroom, you know, and just a real blessed life, you know, that, you know, to have the family I have and a wonderful wife that's, uh, was a, a football wife, you know, that's, that's a big thing too. I'll tell you, football coaches, they got to have a wife that totally understands the commitment to be a successful coach. You talk about that. I, and it's true. I remember Joe Brown, yeah. the legendary coach at Mills Junior High School, former bombardier, uh, when he would hold tryouts, you'd get everybody together in a gym in August all the prospective kids, and we had 70, 80, 90 kids at the ninth grade level go out, and he came out with a football, and his speech sent shivers to us. Yeah. He said, you see this? Every August 1st, I divorce my wife, <laughs> and I marry each of you. And every November 3rd, whenever the season ended, I remarry my wife. Yeah. And I'll never forget him look, shaking that football, and I'm sitting there going, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. It's a it's a real time consuming sport to coach that that you're not with your family all the time. But my wife started a great a great thing where I had a refrigerator in my classroom and she would uh, get it stocked every week with peanut butter and jelly and we got bread donated from the community and the kids that weren't eating a lot would come in and in my classroom during lunchtime and and uh, and have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and love them, you know. And uh, uh, she pretty much went to almost all the practices, you know, with, uh, with with her old dog, Champ. She'd sit up there and when she could, go to sit in the top of the And stadium. these are some of the stories, Coach, that, that never get told, uh, the, the wives that do these things. And also the coaches who have players a lot of times who are homeless. We have had yeah. a number of those who stayed at the homes of our coaches. Yeah. Unbeknownst to the community, before the homelessness crisis was – even reported, we had oh, yeah. players that were not in their homes but stayed at various coaches' uh, houses. You know, when I went back to Cordova, we started uh, Player of the Week uh, dinner at the uh, Outback, which is not over in Gold River anymore, but they would provide um, three steak dinners for players uh, the following Monday. Uh, so I we go over there after practice, and I... I made sure the kids, some of these kids never been in a restaurant. So I made sure they, they, they got dressed up. They had to change their clothes and wear a pair of slacks and a sports shirt. And they enjoyed it, you know. They had a steak dinner. Boy, it was big time for them. But um, you're right. A lot of my players live with their grandparents. and uh, But they were great kids. And just, we uh, just, uh, we didn't have all the problems. We didn't have the crime. Kids went to school. They knew what they were supposed to be to class on time, and they did it. And I never saw, all those years I were at Cordova, I never saw a fight. Never witnessed any students get in a fight. It was, uh, and that's an open campus, you know, where the problems that they have today with all these guys walking in and shooting people and stuff, we just, that didn't exist. You know, and kids uh, 
I remember one day, you know, we always saluted the flag. First period, you, you stood up and you saluted the flag. You yeah, know, we did the pledge. I don't know it. if they do the pledge anymore. No, and it's sad because I've met some college recruiters out in, out in front where the flagpole was, and, and our buddy Joe Lashensky, who was my pal, he just passed away, was our head custodian. Cordova and, Joe. He Cordova Joe, and he'd go out and raise the flag, and, man, he'd see a kid walk into the classroom with the Pledge of Allegiance. Hey, slow down, everybody. Stop till this is over with, you know? And they stopped, and they... They did what they're supposed to do. Well, so. it was part of the ongoing tradition of not only this community, but the entire country. Oh, yeah. Some traditions should never leave. Unfortunately, that's that one. is one that's, uh, frankly, teetering. But these are tradi traditions that we all came to learn at a very young age, and we did them. And oh, yeah. It was a sense of honor. Yeah, we didn't have... Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on in our society today, but... I guarantee you one thing. There's a lot more good kids than there are bad, and uh, it's, it's and I'm not so sure there's a lot of bad kids. It's just that they just don't have the right direction, and you hope that things work out for them because uh, they got a long. You hope they have a long time left in their life, but the way things are going with some of them, it's and I think it goes back to pride and respect for your your community that you grow up in. It does. One of the things that uh, uh, Ken Rudolph, yeah, who, uh, you know, a he, great dude. he always emcees our induction ceremony. He was one of those kids who was cut from some of those teams. Yeah. But did he take that and, and sulk about it? No. no. He t and he talks about this. He turned it around. He says, I want to be close to a program that teaches these values. Yeah, I got cut or yeah, I didn't play much. And I felt really the same way, Max. When I was going to Cordova, yeah. because Guy cut me on the last cut oh, no. in baseball. But did I go home and sulk no. about it? No. I sharpened my cleats to go play Babe Ruth. Well, Ken Rudolph tells that story. Yeah. That I wanted to be a part of a program that taught and instilled these values. And I'm going to find something that I'm going to be great at and come back and tell you all. Well, that's exactly what it did. Yeah. Without he became a, doubt. a great broadcaster. Has his own uh, show down in Los Angeles. He yeah. was with uh, Good Day Sacramento for a number of years. Uh, and great. so he was really emblematic of, of that type of mindset. Well, great Kenny Rudolph story is that when uh, I, four years ago, when I coached the Optimist game against John Volick, Kenny wanted to interview us, you know. So we went over to, to uh, Channel 40 to have Ken interview us. And it was so funny because when, it, when, we, when we walked into his, uh, his theater there, he was wearing his old Cordova uh, uh, jersey. <laughs> it was great. And Volick uh, about died. It was, it was. Uh, I'll bet it still fit, didn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, he weighs the same exact amount of, he weighs 140 pounds. And I don't know what he does. He has to gain any weight, but he doesn't lose any either. He was a Lancer, typical Cordova Lancer for life guy. And like you said, he didn't complain because he didn't play much. He he just did what he could to get better and help the team. Yeah, and he, he certainly did. Uh, now, Coach, in our in our remaining few minutes, you had the Max Miller Coaches Clinic. You've had it for 20 years. I looked on the website. You're already taking sign-ups for February of next year. Yeah, uh, well, we've had it for actually 42 years. Wow. Yeah, and it was to get our staff better and other coaches to learn and People can go on the website. It's clinicofchampions.com, and they we hold it at the Grand Sierra Hotel in Reno, and we get 
usually we draw around 1,100 coaches. Uh, I have about 30 exhibitors, and and uh, it gives uh, young coaches and coaching staffs to get a chance to get together and and then learn more about football from different uh, successful high school coaches and college coaches. What are two things, and, and speaking of some of these coaches, what are two things that you really try and impart upon coaches that are coaching today's game? Well, we try to get a, across to them that um, that they're really leaders in our community, and they they have a major impact on kids, and and we want to try to develop a good relationship between um, our officials, you know, and our coaching staff and our players, and have respect on the field, and uh, it's uh, it's it's such an honor for 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 a guy to be on a football team, number one, just to make the team, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever. And 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 to be a coach, you, you've got to set good examples uh, for your kids. And um, that, that's one of the things I, I cherished. That, uh, that's probably the thing I missed a lot, I was walking across campus and, and having the kids call you coach. Because guys have asked me, he said, hey, what do, you, what do you miss about football? And I said, to be honest with you, you could be a called coach. That's an important word. And uh, it, it has a major impact on kids for their life. And uh, I just got kind of so lucky. I'm so, I just so blessed. Uh, you obviously keep in touch with a number of your former players, not just from Cordova High School, but from other places too. Yeah. I'll bet almost to a person, they still refer to you as coach. Yeah, a lot. I get phone calls all the time from guys, and it's uh, it's unfortunate with some of them. I got a lot of players that have passed away. It just really, uh, it really hurts. But um, again, like I say, the, you know, I have a, a great group of guys that continually follow what you're doing, and and I, they really care about you. I ran into Frank Griffin, who's on our committee the other day, when, and he was new, and he comes up and he gives me this great big hug. You know, it's great to see a coach. And I, I said, yeah, you know, Frank, it's great to be seen, <laughs> you know? But as, you, as we get older, we cherish every day, but- uh, Well, there's another young man. Oh. He caught everything thrown to him. And oh, he, yeah. he is an example of someone who elevated his game when he got to USC. Yeah. And, uh, and, and playing at USC, I mean, you're in a big-time pool you're with down a, there. At, during that era, uh, SC was as good as it gets. And uh, he, was, he was a great player. I, I mean, you can just go on and on and on about guys uh, at Cordova. I mean, it's not hard for the committee. It is hard for the committee at Cordova for the Hall of Fame to select the people because it's it's not just football. It's uh, basketball, baseball, bowling, fencing, cross-country, you name it. All our girls' sports are phenomenal. One of our greatest fears early on was, oh, we're going to run out of candidates after year three. Well, yeah. no, because no, that we've portal. added more. That portal looks like uh, the college transfer portal is pretty thick. It does. It's and hugely it's got, thick. And, of it, course, you mentioned uh, uh, female uh, women's athlete, athletics. Cordova is a standard bear there as well. Oh. You know, several inductees who are ladies, oh, some yeah. of which have played in the N, uh, WNBA. It, getting back to coaching then versus coaching now, it's obviously more complex. You have more things to deal with. 
you've obviously changed with the times uh, during really three different eras, the 60s, yeah, 70s, I, 80s, I, and well, actually part of the 90s. I think it's very important that the kids know that uh, there's rules. There are not a lot of rules. But one is be on time, you know, be on time, just like you would when you're working, you know, be a good student, be a good person. Uh, don't cause problems in the classroom. You know, people people look up to um, athletes. They really do. And athletes can, if they and they got to be good people, they can eliminate a lot of problems at school immediately. And, and that's just by telling the guy, hey, man, be cool about things. Do what's right. And uh, it's just, it's good to be part of that. Uh, educating kids what's right and what's wrong. You know, it's kind of interesting because I used to tell kids, I said, you know, if you see a sign in somebody's front yard that says, beware a dog, do you go back there? No. No. <laughs> you don't. So if the speed limit's 45, that's what it's supposed to be. And you got to pay attention to those things and, 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 and do the right thing, be a good person and you're going to be a happy guy. You Words know. to live by, concepts that are timeless. Yeah. Max, we're going to leave it there. We've uh, gone a little bit over our hour. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And and thank you to uh, all the kids that I've had an opportunity to coach and teach because uh, I enjoyed the classroom too. And it's uh, it's just been a great career and Great opportunity to spend time with you, Mike. You do a wonderful job. Well, thank you. Many hands make light work, believe me. So <laughs> It's good to have a lot of hands. I it, hope it, you it, out. Most definitely. Yeah. Thanks again, right. Coach. You're all right. Come back and see us again soon. I'll be back. Thank you.